So welcome to the second week in our series, Pastoral Principles for Living Well Together in Body, Mind and Spirit. The aim of this series is to help us to become then the most welcoming and hospitable people on the planet. Once again, imagine your family member, I've mentioned this before, I'll do it again for those of you who haven't heard this bit, um, family member of yours or a friend, somebody you love, visiting a church, actually let's say visiting this church family, meeting with us or meeting with your life group or some people from this church family. And they come to you and they say they want to come to church with you on Sunday or to meet with your Christian friends. And maybe the thing in your mind is what sort of welcome are they going to receive as they meet with us? And welcome, of course, is so much to do with what happens after we say hello. And this loved one of yours is gay or lesbian or trans or disabled. Maybe they're in a wheelchair. Maybe they're neurodivergent in some way or other. Maybe they're wrestling or living with autism or ADD or dyslexia or dyspraxia, or maybe they're black or they're Muslim or an arch atheist, but they've asked to come along. And you're intrigued that they've asked this, but you're wondering what sort of welcome they'll get. Maybe they're looking for hope Maybe um, somebody to, or something to believe in. Maybe they've got questions about God. How do you feel about bringing them here to meet with us? What might you be afraid of? Imagine the welcome then that you'd like them to receive. Imagine the journey we'll have been on together. That means that this person, this person, this friend, this family member, actually sits next to you. You've never met them before, but they come in and they sit next to you and they look round at you. What would they see in your eyes and in mine? Will they see something that's judgmental or condemning or embarrassed? Or will they see something that's loving and kind, welcoming and hospitable? And hospitality, as we mentioned last week, is so much more than making somebody a cup of tea. As we saw last time, it's about listening well to someone who's different from us, seeking understanding, and thereby dignifying somebody who's made in God's image and is loved by him. At times, these Sundays and the Life Group's course material that we're focusing on with these pastoral principles they do focus on the welcome and the hospitality to people who identify within the LGBTQ plus range, if you like, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, the Q, queer, meaning different. It's a word that people within the queer community, as they might call it, might use that word for themselves, reclaimed it, if you like. I remember it was a term of insult and looking down on someone when we were at school, at college. So be careful how you use that one. You know, Q can sometimes stand for questioning as well, and the plus for others who might feel they don't fit into what they, others might consider normal. So sometimes what we're sharing will be focused on those people, but the biblical principles that we're sharing are to help us as a church family be that most welcoming and hospital, hospitable people to all people, everybody on the planet. So who do you think uh, wrote this then? There's a few clues along the way. I quote, we have caused and continue to cause hurt and unnecessary suffering. At the heart of our failure 
It's the absence of genuine love for those whom God loves in Christ, knowing as God does every aspect of their lives. Such lack of perfect love causes us at times to fear and act out, and act out of fear. Defensiveness is felt and regression is experienced, both by those who long for change and by those who believe sincerely that change would be wrong and damaging. Who wrote that? Well, our archbishops did in the Church of England in the foreword of their book, Living in Love and Faith, with its subtitle, Christian Teaching and Learning, about identity, sexuality, relationships and marriage. The church at large has made some pretty big mistakes in the past in terms of how it has treated and feared particular people who were seen as other or different, which includes women, and how women have been treated as second-rate in the church, their gifts dismissed and regarded as secondary to those of men. And of course, black people too. The Church of England has had to deal with its own institutional racism. The BBC Panorama programme from a couple of, two or three months ago did it, it was all about this. I got phone calls from senior staff after that. How did I feel? Was there anything I wanted to talk about? And the church at large has done some huge hurt and damage to people um, within the LGBTQ plus description, if you like, in the manner in which they've been talked about and treated. So today we're seeking help to cast out fear and to build trust in our church family and in our community and in God as we look to become those welcoming people. So let's turn to God's word where we hear something about fear and love then. So from John's first epistle, we read these words. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we don't see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So we hear how perfect love expels fear, because love is built on trust and faith, which is the opposite of fear. Think of a person, maybe now, or a person in your past, with whom you could be completely and utterly yourself, your silly, stupid self at times. You could sing however you sing when you're in their presence and it wouldn't matter what your singing sounded like. You could be put on silly faces, you could dance however you wanted to dance, but it didn't matter because there was no fear in this relationship. You knew that you were accepted and loved. In fact, you could make mistakes, you could trip over or forget where things were. 
lose your glasses for the umpteenth time, not know how to work the remote control, all sorts of things, get that task wrong. But in one sense it didn't matter because you were with those who accepted you and loved you. Love expels fear. God's kind of perfect love expels, kicks out that kind of fear. We're able to love each other because we experience God's love first. Maybe something that in a moment, but let me make this a bit more challenging. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. That reading end there. So what is it like for us to imagine then that there are fellow believers who worship God and love God and they are LGBTQ plus people somewhere along the line? I suppose it's something for me I've not really had to face or to deal with for years really. Until these last few years, as I mentioned last week, we've been talking and thinking and praying about these things as a leadership team for the last three or more years in one way or another for a variety of reasons. But I suppose I never really got to think, as I read around some of the material and been thinking about these things, that somewhere today are people in same-sex relationships, people who are worried and concerned about their gender and their identity, who are worshipping God and seeking to love him and follow him with all their hearts. And I've had to really think, what does that feel like for me to think that? And if I found myself next Sunday, I've got no plans for next Sunday like this, but if I was to find myself thinking, actually, there is a community or a church that's really open to all these people being there where they can feel safe and can come and worship God, and I was to go there, what would I feel? What would you feel as you walked in? I suppose what I'm thinking and asking myself is, to what extent would there have been years ago any sense that God was here with these people who are deeply loved by God and on their journey of faith and life are seeking to serve and love him? And would I have sensed that that is okay if I'd sat with them and they said, oh, Malk, if I was wearing a name badge, sit here with us. How would I have felt? How would I feel now? I think I feel a lot more comfortable now than I would have done. How would you feel? <coughs> Those who love God must also love their fellow believers, no matter their colour, their race, their background, their economic uh, situation, whatever it might be. It's such a challenge, isn't it? And so we hear that we are able to love each other somehow because we experience God's love first. We are commanded to love our fellow believers, others in God's family, hopefully those that aren't just exactly like us. And we recognise that even as I've been saying those things, that maybe what arises in us is a little bit of anxiety or something that's a little bit fearful because it just seems so odd, so different from where you're coming from, from where your life story and experience may be. It can help us to recognise God's love for us all in our complexity. That we might be maybe more able to love others in their complexity. Or do we say, God, it's easy for you to love me, easy for me to love others to love me because I'm just straightforward, normal, you know, happy, likeable. Is that what we're all saying? Or are somehow we're saying, actually, God, you know how complex I am. You know the shadow side of my life. You know the temptations that I wrestle with. 
You know the mistakes I've made. You know the, the sins that keep coming back. And yet you still love me. And we receive that love week by week. That's what we do when we share the bread, share communion soon. We recognise that God says you're welcome. Christ says you're welcome. How dare we think of not loving another person in their complexity? So what's that like then? Last week we were thinking a bit about listening to others and overcoming some of our fears today builds on some of that. During the summer I was away on a little break um, in some of the mountainous, lakey places I kind of like and um, it was on my own. We used to go to the pub in the evening on my own. I'd sit there and read, have a bite to eat and a pint or two. Wonderful sit outside on a nice evening, sat in this pub courtyard. It's a really quiet night, actually. And, uh, but this pub, <laughs> amazingly, had a security guard. And I thought, I'm not sure this place really needs a security guard, but he was all dressed in black, looking pretty tough, this guy. And, um, but there was nobody else around, and every now and again he'd pop outside near me, and I began to talk to him. As I do talk to anybody. And um, we got chatting a bit, and... I could see at first he was thinking, a bit strange. Um, he probably thought I was a bit strange, a bit different, apart from, particularly for that bit of the world. But as we got talking, I found that he kept looping back round to me. He'd go inside and check things out, but he'd always come back. I think he must be bored now, I'll be back on my book. And he'd come out and start talking to me some more. We must have chatted on and off for a couple of hours. And during that time, I learned what a violent man he had been and had worked in security all around the world, often on the ships where pirates would come, all that sort of thing. He told me story after story of his life. He told me about his broken childhood. He told me about his broken marriage, married to an alcoholic wife who, stabbed, who had stabbed him. He talked about how his children uh, were going to be coming to a funeral of a family member, but his children were uh, not close to him anymore. And we, one of them, he said he wasn't welcome. And as he was talking, I just began to mention every now and again, oh, something I have to deal with quite often is the idea of forgiveness. He didn't know who I was or what I did. And uh, we got talking a bit about that. And then eventually he, he managed to draw out of me what I did. I thought that would be it. He won't come and bother me. Not bother me, that's the wrong term. He won't come out to me anymore. But he did. He kept coming out. Then some other people arrived at, uh, really late. He introduced them to me. Um, he got them guessing how old they think I was. I was really impressed and really pleased with the answer because he couldn't believe it. Anyway, um, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. And then he said to me, so where are you staying? I said, I'm at the campsite, you know, a mile or so away. He said, uh, would you like to lift home? He said to me. I said, well, what time are you going to be going? He said, oh, half 12. I thought I'll be gone by then. I wasn't. Quarter to one, he gave me a lift home. As we get to the campsite, he turns to me and he says, tonight has been re a really enriching conversation. I wondered, I wonder how many times he used that word enriching, <laughs> but he did. And as I went away and went back to my tent, I thought what a wonderful time that was. And I wondered how many other people I'm not bigging myself up here, I'm bigging up the Church of God, okay? And all of, all of us who are able just to talk, how many other people has that guy spoke to and be able to share his life and didn't feel judged, didn't feel criticised and felt dignified in a way? 
Who are we listening to? How are we overcoming our fears? All I did was ask questions. When I heard stuff, I thought, wow, I just kept on asking questions. We'll think about some of our own fears again in a few moments' time, just after our Gospel reading, okay? Which I'm going to talk through, so I'm going to invite you to remain seated for it today. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. So it's a lovely picture here of the people gathering around Jesus to be taught and nourished by him. Maybe we can picture ourselves in that setting with him during these times together, sitting around together with Jesus to be taught and nourished. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in an act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. How exposed she must be feeling now. I wonder what she's feeling, shame, horror. Teacher, they said to Jesus, the woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. So the religious men are keen to shame the woman. Maybe they're ashamed of her behaviour in their town. Maybe there was a small brothel there or something. Or maybe her reputation was known. They just brought shame on them somehow. Maybe they fear the desire that she elicits within them. And maybe they're fearful of Jesus as well and his reputation and the challenge that he is to their authority. They're trying to trick Jesus into putting himself in trouble. If he says yes, she's worthy of death, you know, he could get himself in trouble with the Roman occupiers who alone had the authority to declare and pass the death penalty. And also it would give him, well, it wouldn't really help his reputation of being compassionate and caring towards those who may be broken or downtrodden or marginalised in life. If he says no, he could be seen as going against the Jewish law under Moses. He could be in trouble for that, even though my understanding is there's not a great deal of evidence that this punishment was carried out very much in first century Palestine. But Jesus stooped down, we hear, and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. As so he stood up and again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Now it could be, as one commentator says, that Jesus is saying to the men, asking if they're guilty or not guilty of, the, of this particular sin of adultery, then you can start throwing. Apparently the language, the text, the understanding could go in that direction. And that's commentator goes on to say that often in these situations it would be the woman that would be punished, vilified. I mean, exactly, where was the man in this story who was the other partner to this adultery? And that men could you know, continue to live respectively in their lives with a nod and a wink. Maybe. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them 
condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Today we're finding encouragement to overcome and kick out our fears and provide places of trust and love instead so that we can become the most welcoming and hospitable people on the planet. So let's think about our fears just for a moment then and what can we do about them? One of the first things really is just to recognise our fears and anxieties to do with people of difference and diversity. We can ask ourselves, even as we consider this series, what is it I'm afraid of and why? What is it I'm afraid of and why? We can acknowledge that who and what we don't understand may unsettle us and may make us think that our safe and secure world is somehow less safe and secure. We've all done those things and we've just avoided somebody who's different out of fear. Someone's coming along the pavement in a wheelchair or obviously disabled and we just kind of subtly cross over the road. We can acknowledge any fear, <laughs> the fear of thinking, you know, if we're seen with someone from different from us, then somehow we'll be seen as approving of them. A kind of fear of association and what will people think. So I suppose that's me really. If I was reporting to you that actually last Sunday evening I went to a community of gay and lesbian and trans Christians and had a wonderful time, maybe there'd be a little bit of me thinking, what would the congregation think? What would the flock think? Would you begin to think about what had happened to my theology? We thought this about Mount. We never expected to hear that he'd been somewhere like that. What might be your fear then in that regard? We can recognise any fear that being friendly and welcoming towards somebody who identifies within the LGBTQ plus framework or discussing these matters with others will somehow undermine and weaken the particular set of beliefs that we have. If I talk to them, somehow it feels like I'm opening up the door to a possibility of something new and I don't want to go there. I can tell you there's plenty of times I've been there in my life over some bit of theology, churchmanship or something in the past. So in all this we can own that fear and anxiety is my response to an issue. It might not be the issue in and of itself. What is it I fear? What do I think will happen? Is it true? Fear can be to do, can, can be about more of what we fear might happen or anticipate will happen rather than what's actually happening. So all this matters because, you know, we're entering this season of thinking about these things. And in the future, maybe in the new year at some point, way beyond the Christmas season probably, it may be that we look even closer into some of these issues as well. But at the moment we're trying to create the environment within our church family that even makes these conversations possible. And that we can listen without fear and love without fear. So all this matters then 
as we seek to be loving towards the kinds of people we're mentioning, who may actually, some of whom may be sitting here right now or listening or watching this talk later on at some point. So if we have this fear and anxiety, then the chances are that we'll listen poorly, we'll be preoccupied with our own concerns, we'll distort what others say, we'll be regressive and defensive, we'll feel the need to be in control. I mean, some of us are thinking, well, I don't even have to get near these issues. Mount, that's me, you know. <laughs> Sometimes we may be thinking. Um, we'll not only want to give, um, we'll only, or we might not want to give anybody else's views any space or credence. Um, or value, maybe we'll feel we need to have the last word. We won't be able to respond creatively and imaginatively to new challenges and we'll find it hard to cope well with unresolved questions, uncertainties and ambiguities. And there's going to be plenty of that as we talk about these things. But it's a sign of maturity and wisdom to be able to think, Lord, I trust you. I don't understand everything don't have all the answers, I feel there's some uncertainty, but I trust you. And wouldn't it be great to be able to say, and we trust one another as well. So, as I conclude, as we think about these things, as we read and hear these Bible stories, they may, could inform the way we act. So we can ask ourselves, you think about that story we just shared. Where am I in the story? Is there somebody I identify with? What do I learn about God's ways in Jesus here? How will I respond to this story in my own life? Yeah, what am I going to take away? What's going to be your takeaway from this service, this worship today? Maybe you don't know yet. So it seems then, as I conclude, that Jesus often sends people he's encouraged back into community. Often those he befriends, heals, forgives, loves or dignifies, pretty much all of them are sent back to the communities from where they came from. How's it going to play out for that woman? What sort of community is going to welcome her? How's that going to play out for us in our community? When Jesus sends to us those who are being encouraged to seek him and search out for him, I reckon they could meet the most welcoming and hospitable people on the planet. For we belong to Jesus, who has shown you and me the most welcoming and amazing hospitality. Amen.